Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. You know, the fact that this show is called Longhorn Blitz is apropos because, as we will discuss, it was a blitz, a blitz call by Oklahoma that really swung the Big 12 championship game in favor of the Sooners. Sam Ellinger gets sacked on what technically was not a true corner blitz call, but it was a corner blitz was like watching your dog get shot in slow motion, watching it happen. Yeah, <laughs> brutal. <laughs> Old yeller. Yeah, that's kind of what it felt like watching it from the press <laughs> box. And that, uh, gentlemen, that went a long way toward deciding the outcome. Texas loses the Big 12 championship game 39-27 to Oklahoma. We'll talk about that, and we'll take an early, early, early look at the Sugar Bowl matchup. That's not a bad consolation prize, getting to go down to Bourbon Street for New Year's Eve and on January 1st in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. It'll be Texas and Georgia. We got plenty of time to talk about this the regular season that was a 13 game season with the 14th game to come. Plenty of time to talk about the Sugar Bowl. We're going to spend most of today talking about the Big 12 championship game. Let me bring in the rest of the team. I am Jeff Howe. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, how are you, sir? Uh, doing real well, and you sound like quite excited for this one. Um, not excited, but I've got a lot of, uh, just a lot on my brain. I can hear the energy uh, in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, there's a, a, a crap, I hate using this word because it makes me sound unintelligent. There's a crap ton of energy <laughs> in AT&T Stadium on Saturday. Very, very different from a normal Texas OU game. There was yeah. not State Fair in the Cotton There's like a bizarro world. Version. More, mm, the environment leading up to it, very more, as I described it to Rod, more corporate, more buttoned up. But mm-hmm. once you got into the flow of the game in the stadium, uh, it felt like you would expect a championship game between Texas and Oklahoma to go. A man who played in four Texas OU games during his career. Never played the Sooners for the Big 12 title because that was when the Big 12 you know, had their house in order and had – 12 teams and two nice divisions <laughs> and a, a good format for a conference good championship. Old Except for the they got it wrong every year and it should have been Texas <laughs> and OU every single year. Had again. you been going by the current <laughs> uh, by the current system, yes, it would. Big 12 never gets anything right. <laughs> Nevertheless, played yeah, two Big 12 championship games, uh, lifetime Longhorn 2002 UTL American 2002 semifinals for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas, and 40 acres where he earned his degree. When he gets his T-ring in, he will wear it proudly, but nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, number 21 in your program, but number one in your hearts. Hear him on the horn on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Rod, not a problem. Rod, we, you and I broke this game down uh, on the Rodcast on Monday. Uh, I've talked about it in Horns 24-7. A lot of different ways you can go with it, but let's talk about the sequence that I referenced. Uh, it's one of the most drastic shifts in momentum you'll ever see within the span of three plays in a football game. Kyler Murray to CeeDee Lamb for 54 yards. It looks like Oklahoma's going to have a first and goal. And at that point, uh, they're up 30-27. to 27. You figure if they punch it in here, it's a 10-point game. Then if you're Texas, you're really behind the eight ball at that point. But Gary Johnson, gentlemen, makes one of the most hellacious hustle plays you'll ever see on the field. Yeah. Comes up from behind, knocks a ball loose. Brandon Jones recovers. Texas has the ball. And then two plays later, what ended up being really for Ruffin McNeil, the absolutely perfect call against the perfect formation. They get a safety. It's 32-27. Oklahoma getting the ball back with the free kick. Uh, right at that point, it just seemed like 
the life almost got sucked out of the Texas side of AT&T Stadium. After you literally go from the highest of highs where you're thinking, mm-hmm. hey, three-point game, Sam Ellinger's getting the ball against this Oklahoma defense. This is right where you want to be. And a couple seconds later, it just falls off the cliff. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, I love that uh, Trey Brown, the young man who ended up getting the, the sack uh, slash safety, he said that was the first time that he had been called uh, to, you know, blitz uh, in that formation, in that uh, that defensive uh, call, that audible or whatever it is. I know you'll break it down and explain it. Uh, but also Andrew Beck says, hey, man, I saw it on film once. <laughs> uh, even Sam Ellinger remarked, hey, I didn't see it on film a lot. And to me, that pretty much encapsulates, you know, my take on the game. And I did pick Oklahoma. I thought it would be a closer game, obviously. I thought Tom Herman would cover. That didn't happen. All the trends said that would. But Oklahoma, they, they outcoached Texas. And it, and I'm not saying that to be you know malicious uh, about Texas, but they came in with there were certain adjustments they had made from the first game and the first matchup in this game. And honestly, all those little tweaks, and they were small things. They weren't big things. We can talk about on the offensive side and defensive side of the ball. They made small tweaks that honestly – Texas did not make on the offensive side. I say defensively, I like Todd Orlando's game plan, and I think he made adjustments, and we'll get into that from the first matchup. But you look at what that, that we talked about Ruffin McNeil, all right? He was one of the factors that he was going to play a major role in the second matchup, but he was not a big factor in the first matchup. Well, it turns out, you know, that, you know, that gambling philosophy of Ruffin McNeil, the high-risk, high-reward philosophy, it paid off big time for him. I mean, who's why would you call uh, that – that defensive call. Why would you make that call when possibly that corner who's guarding Colin Johnson, who's been torching you for 170 something yards, a big 12 championship record when you're going to leave him matched up on a safety. And if Texas can read it right, if they, if the communication doesn't break down and we can talk about that too, a little bit later on, then Texas has an easy chunk yardage play and they've been getting those all day, every day. So, you know, I give props, Ruffin McNeil, but Trey Norwood, who was playing corner, they moved him inside to play safety. So he played nickel most of the time. He was matching up on Lil' Jordan Humphrey. That was big. That was a new wrinkle they added. Um, they also used their their 40 personnel. They used a four-man front with three linebackers in the game most of the time. I mean, they, they didn't really play a lot of nickel and a lot of dime, maybe out of necessity, whatever, but it allowed them to be tougher. It allowed them to be more stout against the run against Texas. Um, also, you go look at, you know, um, and I talked this about this too, on the breaking of the tendencies. You know, w- with Texas, uh, they didn't really do a lot offensively. Well, I say do n- anything new offensively. And maybe they figured, hey, we beat mm-hmm. them last time by running downhill on them. That's what we'll do again. But I think that was a mistake. They didn't have a counter. They didn't have a counter for whatever new mm-hmm. uh, challenge or adjustment that Oklahoma presented. And they did. They presented some. I just went over a couple of them there. Texas didn't have a counter for it, and they should have had a counter for it. And I think the counter for them was just, hey, we're just throwing it to Colin Johnson. You're going to leave him one-on-one on the outside. We're going to take it all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. And that's fine, but you end up getting sucked into playing Oklahoma's game there. Yeah, You end up turning into kind of a shootout, and Oklahoma's like, all right, they're going to shoot it out. We're going to be ball control. And they almost switched positions. Yeah. Where Texas should be in the ball control offense, Oklahoma became the ball control offense. So I just thought Oklahoma had a better game plan. It was, uh, it was more comprehensive, and I thought they took – they took the time to make more adjustments, and Texas didn't really have any adjustments. Not saying it was vanilla, but it was the Texas game plan that I had seen pretty much for the last – since Oklahoma, actually. No, yeah, and then I, I want to give Matt credit, Matt, and I'll let you go real quick, but I want to give you credit because since we started this podcast, and for those of you who don't know, Matt's a daily fantasy guy, heavy into the NBA, and it really dovetails nicely when we talk about Big 12 football because, Matt, you for years – and it's funny now to hear defensive coordinators talk about it. It's all about – pace of play, and number of possessions. And mm-hmm. it seems like now that Lincoln-Riley game plan was all about, look, as long as we just have more possessions than they do, we'll be fine at the end of the day. And it just it, it played in Oklahoma's hand. And, and now, you know, one thing I, I want to mention, though, I think this is why everybody sees now, why does Tom Herman like to defer the coin toss? Because if you can get the ball at the end of the first half and they get it right back at the beginning of the second half, you, it, it's money at that point. Like you're, you, you gain another possession. So Matt, when you talk about Oklahoma going more ball control, 
It's almost like you're assuring yourself and with the way things played out, look, regardless of what happens, as long as we don't turn it over, we're going to get more possessions than they do, and we feel like we're just going to score more points than them at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, because if you get way. more plays, you can really dictate the tempo, and that's whenever it's more of not, you know, you hear the stat in 40-plus runs for Texas, and fans will be like, well, that doesn't mean just run the ball and you're going to win. It's like, no, but it means that the game script is going to play out in your favor. If you have the ability to choose to run 40 times, you're dictating tempo, you're making your offense go wear out their defense and it just really sets the game environment to where you get to dictate those terms and then when you talk about the counter it's funny that you brought it up that way Rod because it was literally after the first quarter only the counter run it was like you we saw the inside zone outside zone from Ellinger and then it was okay Texas ran a counter off of it but that was about the only difference that I saw throughout the beginning of the game those worked but it's just the chess pieces that we talk about and the ability there late in that game to come up with a call that played off of what all the tendencies were and understanding your own tendencies is so big and uh, played like Gary Johnson to put Texas in that position so big and then to get it reciprocated. This was just sort of the highest level of execution that we saw from both teams, both teams making good plays. It was just Oklahoma ended up making more plays in Texas. I don't think we're giving enough credit to uh, the defense. Ref McNeil. I watched a lot of Oklahoma film and Oklahoma fans will tell you this too. That was the best Oklahoma's defense has played all year yeah. long. I was blasted him. played all year long. And you spot on Texas so, Tech 2008. It was like, yeah. I remember Ruffin so, McNeil doing yeah. it to Texas So maybe team. it's now that he's been, I don't know, the defensive coordinator for six, seven games, and now they're starting to really acclimate to that scheme or whatever. But that was the best they had played all year long. So you got, I, I don't think people are giving enough credit. Lincoln Riley didn't win this game. Ruffin McNeil won this game. Yeah. You know, no, nobody wants to give credit. The there, I agree, man. Was held to four. Mm. I love Todd Orlando's game plan. He held him to uh, less than forty points and held him to three point two yards per rush. Hell, if I told you before the game you get that from Todd Orlando's defense, you go, I take, I'll take it all day, every day. That that defense, they played better than we expected them to play. That was the thing. That's the largest deficit Texas has lost by this year. Yeah, and that, that in that defense, we said it was the most atrocious defense in the Big Twelve, arguably. Like, it was that bad. Kansas defense was better. Texas Tech's defense was better. Iowa State. So, now, this defense won that game. So, I don't think anybody's giving enough props to that defense because we had been dogging them all year long, and they deserved it. But, honestly, they made enough plays to win that game. Yeah, I mean, and that's just the way it comes down to it in the Big that, 12. We'll talk about the defense here in a minute. But, Rod, to your point about Ruff and McNeil being the X factor more so than Lincoln Riley. If you look at Oklahoma's explosives, and Matt, you ran down the explosive numbers Mm -hmm. and adjusted points per game, all that stuff. If you look at Oklahoma's most explosive plays, they had two plays that went over 28 yards the entire game. One was a 46-yard pass from Kyler Murray to C.D. Lamb on their first touchdown drive. The other was the 54-yard completion that ended up in a fumble. So really, Mm -hmm. you essentially held Oklahoma to one play, one play Mm -hmm. over 28 yards all day. I don't think – look, is is the defense without fault? No, because we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but – you couldn't have asked the defense for Texas to do a much better job than what they yeah. did. Well, and that's where the modern game, like you see the variance in these scores more so than before, and it's affecting the betting market more than it ever has. You see the same either blowouts can come really quick. So, like, you look at this ball game at the end. It's 30-27. You have a great play by the defense by Gary Johnson. The offense is what sets up those final 12 points to make it not cover mm-hmm. and it's not as it's just because in the one game sample those last few minutes it played out that way it isn't always necessarily as bad as you think or as good as you think in certain situations but I think your point about Ruffin McNeil couldn't be any better because that's one of the guys that's as familiar of highly efficient yeah. offenses in anywhere and, and the air raid culture it, of the exactly yeah. and I mean the, the second when I heard about him last week I was like that's weird because the last time I, I just see Ruffin McNeil it's up in the booth with Tech doing Cole McCoy's faces as a stunt all game confused at what's going on in front of them. Texas getting safeties in the end zone with Cody Johnson in that game. Then this game happened. It's just eerily similar that games swing on certain defensive plays like that in a highly offensive culture. Let's look at Ruffin McNeil from this standpoint, though, guys. We talked about this last week, Rod. I brought it up here on this podcast. I brought it up when I was with you on the Rodcast. I talked about it on the site. The difference in the Oklahoma defense was it was more high-risk, high-reward. They were blitzing a lot more. They just hadn't been getting the reward. And it's not like this defense was very sound. I was talking to no, uh, I was little, talk- little Jordan Humphrey lined up uh, uh, with Curtis, Curtis Bolton, Bolton guarding him in the end zone. <laughs> That's nonsensical. I, I was talk I was talking <laughs> to uh, one of my best friends in life, Chris Dukes. He helps run the uh, fan site at Oklahoma site, and, and actually we're talking on the way over here. 
and he said, we're talking about some of the stuff he said. If he said, did you hear Caleb Kelly's explanation for the the strip sack and the you know the scoop and score he got on Will Greer? I'm like, no. Apparently, Caleb Kelly said he was supposed to be engaged with an offensive tackle. And apparently his explanation was, well, the tackle fell down, so I figured I'd just go get the quarterback. Went rogue. Why, why are you having your 230-pound linebacker engage with an offensive tackle anyway? Break. So it's not like this defense was sound. And like I said, well, do you credit Ruff McNeil with the blitz call? Yes. but I, and, and to get into how that call developed, like I said, it was not a true corner blitz. Yeah. In the sense we think of like he Rod, called a Rod when you blitz. See, when you hear a chop call or you yeah. see a chop call you know you're going. Yeah. The blitz is supposed to work with whatever the formation is. A certain defender you basically check to that blitz. Yeah. It just so happened that for whatever reason in the formation Texas was in that Trey Brown was the guy that was supposed to blitz. Yeah. What I want you to get into Rod is and you explain this better than I've heard anybody explain it. There was some, I don't know if you want to call it miscommunication or miscommunication yeah. between miscommunication Sam Ellinger and Colin Johnson. Oh, Colin, yeah. But if Texas picks that up, oh man, you've got a safe you've got a safety playing seven yards off the ball on Colin Johnson. And it might end up being a touchdown because well if you're at home, yeah. you probably get that communication. Like it's, it's just be, simple yeah, communication. One on one. It's basically, yeah, what happened was, I mean, and Sam Sam did everything he usually does. He's checking with the wide receiver the before to make sure there's anything he wants to communicate about something that the wide receiver's seeing, either downfield or what the linebackers are doing. Mm-hmm. So Sam looks over there for like a second, then looks back to the formation, then checks the other side of the formation. So he's looking ready to make his checks. He never, ever checks again with Colin Johnson. Man, why should he? Colin didn't communicate anything with him when he looked at him the first time. But as soon as Sam snaps his neck back to the formation, Colin starts yelling and screaming. Go look at the place. Mm-hmm. Yelling, he's pointing. He's, I mean, and it's, it's probably loud as hell in there. They set a record for attendance yep. at a Big 12 title game. So it's loud, it's crazy. Longhorns and Sooner fans mingling amongst each other. And he just didn't see him. And what did t- Tom Herman say the biggest factor in Sam Ellinger's development was? He said it was trust. He said, Sam now trusts his teammates that if they they have a job to do, they're going to do it. And, mm-hmm. hey, you're supposed to be at this spot, so I'm throwing it to that spot. And I think he just trusted Colin Johnson that, hey, he had nothing. He would definitely tell me if something funky was going on, mm-hmm. this guy was going to blitz. And it was just well-timed by Trey Brown, too, and well-disguised. Because as soon as Sam snaps his neck back to go back to the other side of formation, that's, that's when he starts sneaking. That's when Colin starts screaming and yelling. But Sam never looks back. It's a play-action fake. So he's got, like, I think it takes him 2.2 seconds, I read, from next gen to get there. Sam takes about a second and a half for that play-action fake, and he has less than a second to react when he sees him out of his periphery. And it's, it's, it's too late. So it's just that slight little half a second you know what I mean? Like, that's the difference. I mean, that's football. I told my girl, that's football in a nutshell, baby. Yep. That's it. Like, that's it. It's a game of inches. It's a game of half a, milli- half a millisecond. Mm-hmm. And if Sam just, you know, decides to even peek over there, he sees Colin Johnson freaking out. He's mm-hmm. pointing, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He never looks back. He, he, he's focused on something, and that's how quick it happens. Yeah, and that's where, I mean, a call, man. we've heard, you know, Tom, call. Tom Herman talk about it all season long, too, about with the new rule changes in the first play after a change of downs mm. in the second play. And this was the second play second after play. a change of downs. So it just was in that that you mm. know that every single snap we've heard him talking about, well, you know, we have Sam reading it. They're going to read it before. He's it, and ownership it, of the And offense. it's cost Texas so many yeah. per, or just quick five-yard delay game penalties. So you know that mentally it's there that he's looking for. But like you said, in the situation, it just happened to be that, okay, neutral field might be just loud enough that you don't hear it, it or you don't see it in at home I think it was when the in, crowd gets quiet. If I'm not mistaken, it's closer to like the so- a bunch of Sooner fans, I believe, the too. The OU band was down at that Right, point. yeah. like yeah. They, the so OU in, like, that's like, all that, you that's, it's, it's weird crazy, how crazy those yeah, margins are. And, I mean, and but in the original Texas OU, that always matters, right? It matters yeah. if you're who, what end of the field you're on well, going in. And it matters that on the play before. I mean, wow. when does Gary Johnson make an unbelievable play? Like, I couldn't believe what I was watching because you just saw a missile come out of nowhere when he forces that fumble and just how different everything's viewed. If, say, oh, they yeah. go in, score, and then it's just that safety and then the possession when it's five and then it's no, it up to 12. Everything. It changes everything, everything so much right there. It was it's the just biggest a game play of the emotion. game. And, and it wasn't even close. I mean, because as you as you guys have pointed out astutely, it's not only is it a turnover because you give the ball back to them, but you addedly just kind of threw in two points to them too. That so in a points possession driven league, two touchdowns you needed. Now him, yeah, you gave them the points and the possession, yeah. and yeah, of course. And then that I would say next after that, and then Jeff points this out too before the half, and then right after the half, 
that's also killer for you. Yeah. Because they, in terms of possessions, they get a, a score they in 41 seconds. They get a touchdown. And then coming back in the half, they get that touchdown. That is a game changer for, for Oklahoma. It was a game. So I think those two sequences and it, the emotional high that Texas was on after that Gary Johnson play, trust me, you, you cannot discount that in terms of how ex- exhausting um, it was for Texas to also give it right back with three two plays later because mm-hmm. they get the turnover. They're like, all right, this is it. Run. And, as Jeff pointed out, everybody's high. I mean, they are riding high. They got the emotion, the momentum. And then not only that, it just – completely shift so it just took the air out of the team they they never recovered and trust me a lot of teams never recovered from that now there's yeah. also another sequence i want to talk about where i really felt like texas lost this game because anytime you're dealing with oklahoma and you start playing from behind you, that's just a hole that you might not crawl out of and you know there's a, probably mm-hmm. another run coming and once for me once texas lost this opportunity to really kind of break this game open or have it swing in their favor heavily, I, I didn't feel like their chances to win for the rest of the day were very good. And what I'm talking about is Texas is up 14-6. Uh, Oklahoma gets the ball with 11-22 to go till halftime. Uh, and they go three and out. Trey Sermon, one-yard run, uh, an incomplete pass to uh, Hollywood Brown. That was the deep ball that Hollywood Brown drops. They overturn it on a replay. Uh, and then uh, there's a play that's short of the sticks. Devontae Davis made a hell of a play. Uh, to, oh, yeah, to, to get Hollywood to Brown nine, down yeah. short of the mm-hmm. mark. Uh, Oklahoma punts. So Texas gets the ball with a 14-6 lead, having just held Oklahoma to force the three and out. You've got the ball with 10-06 to go until halftime. If you're Texas, this is where you go for the throat. Mm-hmm. This is where you know you put your foot on the accelerator and say, all right, this is where we go build our cushion, like you did in the first game. What happens, that first play of the next drive, it's a 10-yard pass, Ellinger to Johnson, and then Keontae Ingram. Rush for no gain. Ellinger rushed for two yards. Ellinger sacked for a 10-yard loss and a punt. Right after that, Oklahoma goes six plays, 87 yards, and a touchdown. Mm. Texas gets the ball with 5.01 to go. And keep in mind, at this point, Oklahoma has no timeouts, but Texas ends up punting, gives Oklahoma the ball back with 59 seconds left, and in college football with the ability to stop the clock on first downs. You give Kyler Murray 80 yards with a minute to go. Yeah. That's an eternity. Oklahoma yeah. goes down and scores. So, really, in the span of 10 minutes, you go from being up eight with the ball to being down six going into halftime, and Oklahoma gets the ball right back to start the second half. Agreed. You're mm-hmm. done. Yeah. You're yep. done. And you, you let them possess it, that, that final possession of the half to where it gets to flip back over to where it's like if you're just successful and let it play out the way you want to, you consume that time of possession, and then who knows if you get the score or not. But just keeping them off the field keeps you within that score where you can maybe survive a safety late, but you can't do that whenever you book in the end of both halves with ineffective quarters. You know? Yeah, you can't afford to waste a stop. Yeah, and Todd Orlando got you stops. And I, that's why I, Sam Ellinger, I agree with him saying this is on the offense you know what i mean like we when, when you get stops texas wasted stops that todd orlando gave them and then their stops you know were I mean? giving them points exactly <laughs> they feel, you know what I mean? exactly you know what i mean and, and that's the thing too when you're able to hold them to field because i believe without the kneel down you take away the kneel down for oklahoma both teams had 10 possessions mm-hmm. all right and i think oklahoma ended up getting uh was it uh Four touchdowns, three field goals. Uh, I don't three. know. Three, three touchdowns, three field goals, right? Mm-hmm. Two punts. Is that what we're talking And then the two points. And then top. the two points, of course, too. And then Texas end up getting three touchdowns. They miss a PAT. Uh, they get two turnovers, uh, two punts. You know what I mean? Like it works out where basically in the possessions, in a points position league, and Tim Herman said mm-hmm. it, they got field goals out of some of their drives that died, and we didn't. We got no points out of them. That's the game, and that's why Texas early on it felt good because Texas led seven to six. You had the number of possessions in your favor because you got the ball first, you got scores, you held them to field goals. They had two effective drives, yet we're still trailing Texas. But then once you get into that second half, the gameplay started to just that's exactly right. Texas had four touchdowns, four punts, two turnovers with their ten possessions. Oklahoma four touchdowns, three field goals, and at fumble. Along with the two, they had the fumble, then they had their uh, two punts. So, yeah. And they closed with all those TDs because their first two field goals, it was when it was seven to six. Early on, Texas was effective, and then Oklahoma just kept the pedal to the mouth. Yeah, four punts to two punts. I mean, it sounds crazy, but Mm, I mean, deduce it that way. In a nutshell. And then we don't have a super punter anymore. (laughs) Also, yeah, special teams hurt Texas. I mean, we don't talk about that enough, too. You had the shank punt, you had the the little Jordan Humphrey Mm -hmm. touchdown call back because of a hold. Forgot about Uh, that. Totally. You know what I mean? Like you had the The cat kick catch. 
the block PAT, the kick catch interference. There were like four plays on special teams that that ultimately hurt Texas. Yep. You know, in terms in terms of it being a real tight game. Punt, if you pin him back down, he was in the five. The five he was yeah. inside the five, and I think he ended up being on the twenty or something after that. So there were just little things. But getting back to the 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 Lincoln Riley, you know, the Lincoln Riley versus Todd Orlando matchup. Listen, I thought Todd Orlando had a great game plan. I read. I thought it was masterful. I thought it was great. I mean, you're talking about holding them to 3.2 yards per rush. You held them to below their points per game average. They were averaging 50. I think you held them to 39. You held them to below their total yard average. I mean, And last year to Baker, the only person under 30. Like, this is consistent Orlando versus Oklahoma, both times against the best offenses ever. Rob, before you get to your point, you know how many explosive runs Oklahoma had in this game? One. One. Yeah. A 15-yard run by Kyler Murray. That was it. Yeah, I mean, the average 254 yards rushing, he held him to 129. Here's the key, though, all right? And I broke this down because I watched watched the game again this morning, all right? I got no life. I got nothing to do. So I watched the game this morning. You know what the the wrinkles they added? We talked about the wrinkles on defense and the adjustments. You know what they did on on the offensive side of the ball? This is is beautiful. Cal Katerra. You know how many (laughs) snaps Cal Katerra played in the first matchup? Not very many. Didn't seem like it. Two. That's it? That's Two. crazy. And one of those was on the catch he had on the first drive. And it was a drop, remember? They targeted him. Because Chris Boyd yeah. made a hell of a play. You know, I mean, you know he plays he play like in the his second matchup. Probably almost all of them. Mm-hmm. 33. Two touchdowns. All the the guy only downs. had four touchdowns going into the game, had two touchdowns in this game. Had 22 receptions going into the game, ended up with three receptions in this game. I'm telling you. And you they, talked they, about they, him pregame. I talk, I, and I, I brought this up all week long. I said they're gonna just outnumber Texas in the box. Yeah, that's why. That's why everybody wants to run twenty personnel. Those H backs. Or yeah, or twelve person. He, they ran twelve personnel a ton. They ran twenty one personnel. You. Two backs, one tight end, but they would just spread them out. People didn't notice. Like no, they spread out. Or they run twenty personnel. They ran. They ran twenty. I mean, the first matchup, they ran two backs in the backfield, twenty personnel, or uh, an H back. All right, two. All right, two backs in the backfield. Either way, H back or twenty personnel. 48% of the time. In the second matchup, H-back, 20 personnel, 21%, 21 personnel, 57% of the time. If you add in 12 personnel, two tight ends, they ran 65% of the time. They had eight men in the box. They had five offensive linemen. They had two running backs or two tight ends. And if you add the plus one mm-hmm. of Kyler Murray, sometimes they had nine. They ran the ball more times. They ran nine more times, I believe, for 93 less yards. Because what they understood was that we gotta win the battle of physicality. It's almost like why we tell Texas you gotta you gotta run it forty times even if you ain't even if you're not really being productive in the running game because it sets the tone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, that's the that's the physicality. They wanted to win the physicality edge. They did it with personnel and formation. Tons of Cal, it was a Calcaterra and Meyer. Uh, on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. They'd run 12 personnel or they'd run 20 personnel, 21 personnel. Only a, every now and then they'd mix it up and run, you know, four wide receivers or 10 personnel, and then they'd throw in some 11. In the first matchup, they ran a ton of 10 personnel, a ton of 11. They also fell behind. So they couldn't run their power packets like they wanted to. So maybe Calcaterra got hurt or something. I don't know. But they, when they got behind, they didn't run the power package. In this game, they wanted to assert their power. Yeah, their O line was their that that's their advantage. They added to it. They they decided to double down on the advantage. Let's go tight ends. Let's go running backs. The first matchup, they made the mistake of trying to match Texas's speed because Texas went dime with that dime package. No, 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 that's wrong. Counter Texas's speed with power, and that's what they did. Yeah, Texas be as fast as they wanted to. They still kept running the rock, running the rock. Calcaterra in the red zone. That's what they did, man. They and, were, those, and I said they would run. They would run. They would, this is exactly what Oklahoma State did and West Virginia did, guys. West Virginia and Oklahoma, Oklahoma mm-hmm. State ran it. They had, they had two backs in the backfield. And not just a full back. No, I'm talking about two tailbacks in the backfield. All right? They ran it 51% of the time on Texas with two backs in the backfield, 20 personnel. That's all That's all Lincoln Ryan did. He watched the same film I'm watching and going, well, hell, I'm definitely doing a lot of that. And then he watched Texas Tech. And what did Texas Tech do? They threw it deep. You know how many times they threw it deep on Texas? Eight, eight, ten times. Wow. They just chunked it deep. Ten times. In the first matchup, they didn't chunk it deep ten times. And out of those ten times, there were four incompletions, four receptions, two P.I. calls. Chunk it deep on Texas. Even if they got good coverage, well, it's just a damn. Tech did it because they had six, six, and six, five wide receivers. But still, Texas DBs don't play the ball well, so throw it up. So, man, it, 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 honestly, you just watched film and made some of those simple adjustments. Two backs in the backfield, 20 personnel, more of that. Deep shots, more of that. Calcaterra, more of that. 
And those two feed off each other whenever yeah. you have a guy like Calcaterra. He that makes can, you mo- he makes you multiple. Mm-hmm. I can run now. I can go from twelve to I can go from twelve to twenty to twenty one just because that one guy's on the field. Texas adjustment should have been. You know, Texas has Andrew Beck, and he's basically admired a, a to us. He's a fullback, more of an H back, and they use him really well. First team All Big Twelve play has been really really good, but he ain't a tight end. Cade Brew and Reese Latow are tight ends. They're more of the the Mark Andrews there and the Calcateras that can be matchup nightmares, spread them out, five tool tight ends, flex them, do whatever. I don't know why Texas ain't breaking them out yet. That would have been a great counter in this game. You want to run the ball more against those smallest linebackers of Oklahoma? How about you just put more bodies in the box? That's what everybody's doing against you. Go right, back and look at that that first Sam Ellinger touchdown where you ran more of a heavy personnel look. Come you on, overloaded man. it on the left side with Brewer and Danny Young, and then it's real quick, it's Sam one-on-one with a safety, which if you're Texas, if you're Tom Herman, hell, that's a matchup in the red zone I'll take all day, every day. Well, yeah. And when you have somebody like Cal Katerra that's so versatile that you can bring him in and he basically can be a fool's gold for three different positions for the defense, you could see at times that, I mean, even though OU wide receivers were confused on where to line up because the whole idea is to confuse that's the exactly defense. Right. And then when you have somebody like Cal Katerra, it's like the way you brought it up the first time you Years ago, and how basically Aaron Hernandez is the coach's dream for, like, say, a oh, yeah. offense the way that you had Urban Meyer doing it back then. But you look now, it's the same way that you see somebody like Gerald Everett with the Rams doing it now that he can come in. You can motion him in, and he can be your power blocker, but he can get yep. any mismatch, and then he can be that moving piece, and it's going to open up the pass game where now you see him out there, you intend some type of play action, and now they're hitting you top over with the deep yeah. ball. So it's just great scheming and adjustment by Lincoln Riley based really off was. of the first matchup that you had and understanding and building upon it. And, I, like, I mean, Texas is talented, but isn't as talented with some of those pieces as Oklahoma. So that's where you got to make sure you find the pieces, recruit them, and fit them into the box the way you want, the way that, say, Texas doesn't have that Calcaterra piece necessarily yet. Rod, to, to your point um, about Oklahoma wanting to establish themselves in the physicality battle, uh, doing it on first down with the run game. And, again, Oklahoma's run game was not great. No, it wasn't down it. But you look at their rushing numbers on first down. They ran the ball 40 times. They ran it 19 times on first down. So Damn. almost half their carries were on first down. That's crazy. Gained 75 yards. So they're right at – on about their 3.9 right at four yards of carry. Well, in this game also. Day. That's crazy. I didn't realize that's a hell of a stat. If you look at passing yeah. downs. That was the way set the tone. Texas had been so good in passing downs and held in my, it was Murray one for two for, had an interception. It was 24 yards the first game. In the first game. This game, very different. It was a 11 of 15 for 160 yards, no sacks, and no interceptions. So You know a prime example of that? That last drive. Mm-hmm. Just well, being able Oklahoma, to find what they drive. need. Yeah, but that's what it is. In yeah. passing situations, Texas still wasn't able to be effective. And that you can scheme guys open, and then you can have players making the right reads. And that if you have those working together the way Oklahoma does, unlike any other, they're going to be really hard to, to stop. To Jeff's stat that he just brought up, which is a great stat that I'm going to use on the show today, um, look at that last drive right for Oklahoma. So they get the ball, I think it's, I don't know, like eight minutes or something like that left. That drive takes 67 yards, 11 plays, six minutes and something off the clock. They have eight runs and three passes. They only they have they only pass on third down. They have three third downs in that drive, and they only pass on those three third downs. And I think they're all third and longs. But to match point, they you know Texas in those third and longs, they don't put pressure on Murray. They the corners are playing off the mm-hmm. wide receivers, and they're playing cautious. Mm-hmm. And Murray just is able to he connects, and then they keep the drive going. But on first and second down. Of, of every one of those plays in there, first and second down, they run the ball. Mm-hmm. And they only throw when they had to on that play, on, you know, on that drive. You know what else Oklahoma did, Rod, going back to Lincoln Riley? calling. I thought this was you – know, we talk about Ruffin McNeil winning the game, Lincoln Riley not necessarily. I thought of the five times Lincoln Riley's faced Texas, this was by far the best game plan he's had. It was a, good, it was a great game plan. One other thing that they did, and they started doing it more so when – even when Caden Stearns was in the game, but when he left the game, they started doing more of this – they started making those safeties cover in one-on-one situations yep. with their play calls. And then one of the plays that really sticks out, you talk about that drive, there's a third and nine at the Texas 31, mm-hmm. and you get Lee Morris yep. isolated on B.J. Foster. B.J. Foster's going to be a hell of a player by the time he's done here. Yeah, he's a true freshman. But if you're Oklahoma, that's a matchup you want. Yep. That goes for 13 yards, and you move the sticks again, you're in the red zone. And it's a touchdown to Calcaterra. 
He's on yeah. B.J. Foster. Yeah. They wanted him matched up. And the first touchdown in Calcutta, I think, is Brandon Jones. It's like a fake and uh, play action fake and that kind of. He blocks and then releases. But I'm with you. I think they did target the safety. I think they targeted the safety from the beginning. Remember, they go deep on Caden Sturgeon. They wanted to get, for some reason, they thought they could, they could get deep on all they of They went deep guys. on Brandon Jones, too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, they, they thought, because I think they understand if I can't get the, the reception, the P.I. is just as likely in this conference. Yeah. Because the refs are just that bad. I, I you think, know what I mean? <laughs> I mean? They just are. Yeah, and, and let's talk about that because I know yeah. everybody at this point in the show is like, why haven't you guys talked about the refs yet? The refs screwed Texas. Well, it's an epidemic across you college do, sports. Yeah. You do set Texas does tie the Big 12 championship game record for most penalties. Mm. They set the Big 12 championship game record for most penalty yards. Shock me. Some of those were questionable at best. My problem with the officiating is this. In a league where your officials are constantly criticized, if you're the Big 12, why are you going to do something that lends yourself to more criticism by putting together an all-star crew, and I'll use that term loosely, of officials where it's guys that graded out the highest at their respective positions on the field. It's like a Pro Bowl offensive line. Rather than a great point. Great point. And I hate when the NFL does this, too, because the NFL uses the same model, and I hate it. I don't know why you can't just use the highest-graded crew. Yeah, mm, to officiate the championship yeah. games. teams. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. NBA does it that way. A lot of sports do it that way. It's I, weird when they do that. it that way. I hate that. I would rather because, especially, especially in this league for football, I want a crew that understands. You know, maybe that that headlinesman knows what the back judge is thinking, and and vice versa. It's just you work together, you call games together. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. take as long. Familiarity. The the replays were cumbersome. Like I, I'm still waiting for somebody to explain to me. On the Chris Boyd face mask, where Caden Stearns gets the interception oh, in the end zone off the tip ball, I'm still waiting for somebody to explain to me what they were reviewing. It's, I'm with you. No, I, I still don't understand that. Yeah, and they then just it raced was, it like ten minutes for no reason. I think they must be trying to get more commercials into the game. I've no moved idea. Moved the review center on the field, and homeboys just looking through it. Dr Pepper must be paying for that crawl across right. the bottom of the screen no, or something. I don't know what's the going on. The initial explanation the referee makes, he says, prior to the interception, go yeah. back and watch it. He says, there is, whatever, face mask yeah. on the play, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets to go back and look as to when the face mask took place uh, because if it took place before the interception, it negates the interception. Like, well, you just said it happened yeah, before right, the interception. But, Why are you wasting our time? But then he says the call on the field was, in, was an interception. The previous play is under review. Like, but you just said, you just said the yeah. penalty was before the interception, Dude, before change know. of possession. So I think, I what are you They reviewing? just got They're into just, a uh, yeah, whole laundry list of following their normal protocols, and it was like, well, it's still a turnover, but I already went and said that this happened before the turnover, so it shouldn't be a turnover. But yeah. I already, So I just think they got confused, and then we're looking under them, and we're like, well, I have nothing to look at because I'm dumb and just said it was before. And right. Because were, were, <laughs> you're reviewing the every turnover. So they thought they were, had to review the turnover, but he just true. defined that I it did, was never it was turned over because, because it the, never happened. And why did it take I, 10 minutes? So, that's, Point that's being, a, that's they, I think question. they were confused in it or reviewing something they didn't want to be I, I agree with Craig. Well, I think the game, because of the Big 12 culture of offense, the game is like exhausting these guys mentally and physically. Yes. And they may need just help. They may need just try to help out these officials. You need to go 10 officials on the field? Whatever it is, yeah, the Big 12. But the big, I agree with that. The Big 12 is faster than most conferences. Agreed I mean, it's, still, it's moving way a whole lot faster. And the worst thing about college sports in the officiating system is that it's still at, at the top of the top in the NFL and all these sports. You have to be graded out and be effective. And the thing is, is when those go away, there's always a new crop that they will come and take from wherever they can that from are successful. From the college game, usually. And exactly. Yeah, so then you have a never-ending cycle that you have new guys and guys that haven't always worked together, and then they're always being cropped up. So it's just something collegiately that's going to be in there for a long time. I, I, I would like to see the, the Power Five conferences, the Power Five leagues, pay their officials to where their Good officials point. can be full-time employees. Yeah, give them their own little union and everything. Yep. Like, hey, yeah. man, we're going to hook y'all up. We just need y'all to... This is, money in this, this, is the, this is the fabric of your game. And Matt, you just stole Good the point. words out of my mouth. You're making enough money to where yeah, you know what? You don't have to you know, be a, a part-time lawyer or whatever. Yeah. We'll pay you whatever. Just give them the money $110,000 a year, whatever it is. Because the product, it's hurting the product now. Yes. And I'll tell you, when sports gambling goes nationwide, state to state, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot more consequences and repercussions for, you know, I mean, unfortunately, because people are ridiculous. Yeah, it's a lot of money going to be at stake. So I agree. They need to, the, the NFL's got to deal with it too because the NFL game's starting to look more like the Big 12. At this anyway. point, you're adding <laughs> commercials for reviews, just the money TV money you get from those commercial breaks during these reviews. Probably pay to them. pay these guys. They, yeah, yeah, just a couple national 
Quiet. I understand you. You know it's tough to do it. In like you know your some of your group of five leagues or like the Southland, your, yeah. your FCS leagues mm-hmm. or whatever. But power five, the Big Twelve, the Pac Ten, the Pac Twelve, the Big Ten, the SEC. You should be able to pay your officials full time. It's hurting your product, man. Exactly. Um, yeah. So when you look at this game, guys, as we look at it as a whole. Everything we've talked about, I think Texas Rod's going to look back at this game. Tom Herman's going to look back at this game and say, you know what? We weren't terrible in any particular area, but we weren't great in any particular area either. Um, And when you look back at the first game, you were great. Your red zone offense was great. Yeah. yeah, you know there was oh, a there was a was... there was a period in there where your defense was great for against three, Oklahoma for, for fifty minutes, right? <laughs> so that's when you're playing one of these top tier teams, man. You've got to have stretches of play. You can't have poor stretches of play, but you've got to have a stretch where you're just freaking awesome and everything in all three phases is clicking. And that never really happened for Texas. Well, let's all admit this too. Coffee is for closers, and I love this team, but they don't close. All right, coffee is to close, and they should be drinking tea because they don't close. They just don't. Uh, they've been outscored in the fourth quarter by 73 points, I think, this year. Uh, Oklahoma alone has outscored Texas by, what, 30 points in their two matchups combined. So it's something, something's going on there. I don't know if it's, and, and maybe, it's a, maybe it's a myriad of things. You know, maybe it's mm-hmm. adjustments, and maybe it's like strength and condition is in there, and depth, uh, you know, talent, all that kind of stuff. But they got to figure that out, man, because they've been sounding out finishing all year long. And unfortunately, that's something that's been a consistent, uh, kind of unfortunate uh, con- uh, a statistic for this team is they lose the fourth quarter. I think they've won two fourth quarters all year long. Yeah, and that's it. It was even worse last year. And we were talking about this pregame, and it's like, yes, this team has not been consistent now compared to last year. And that if we're looking at the Tom Herman era, last year Texas was consistently inconsistent. It was just erratic, and yeah, by every game place. you were going to blow yeah. it because you couldn't put together it, yeah. even a couple quarters. It was schizophrenic. Good. Exactly. Yeah. So you had a good quarter or two, but like you've seen this team actually finally be able to be consistent within games and have good performances, but still to have the signs of a younger or a team that's building that still has inconsistency throughout. And you see that in these one-game samples. And if you have one inconsistent quarter, if you're just bad one quarter, it can skew the outcomes in these games. And Texas much better this year because last year you were losing all of those one-possession games. This year, coming into it, what, before this game, it was something like 7-3 and and one-possession games by the end of it. Texas actually performing pretty well, but still we can point – at areas of You're inconsistency, right. and that's the big part to add on top of that. Well, we saw that Ellinger sort of became consistent. Like, that was something you could mm-hmm. trust. You started to see the offensive line wasn't going to just be horrid. It was going to just show signs of competence, so then that can allow the rest of the players to be in a situation to flourish. Yeah. So you see the building, but still the result's not fully there. The thing was is at the beginning of the year, if you say Texas plays are you in the championship game, you know, you're like, hey, that's a pretty good season, and that's about where you're at. It's yeah. a pretty good season, but it still leaves you hungry enough to know, okay, they can still get better, and that's what fans hope for. To Matt, to your point about a program that's growing, this is a coaching staff that's still growing, and there's three fourth quarters I want to point out um, that really point to how this staff – I think it's a lot of different things. There's not one thing that contributes yeah. contributing to these fourth quarter issues. There's a lot of different things. But I think game management is part of it. And uh, there's three fourth quarters I want to point out. The fourth quarter of the K-State game, the fourth quarter of the Baylor game, and the fourth quarter of the Iowa State game. What do all three of those opponents have in common? None of those opponents have air raid DNA in their offense. Very true. And Texas had leads in all three of those games. Mm-hmm. So you can almost manage, look, let's just take as much time off of the clock. It doesn't matter if don't we score. Let's just make sure we play great red zone defense, mm-hmm. hold them to field goals, yeah. don't turn the ball over, and we're going to be fine. Yeah. And against conventional offenses, you can manage it that way. You try to do that against right, West Tech. Virginia. Yeah. You try to do that against Texas Tech. Yeah. You try to do that against Oklahoma. That's not going to work. Highest yeah. level of offense, you can't play that way. But I mean, you can still try to survive it, but you're strikes. admitting you're trying to survive it yeah. at that point. The quick strikes. The quick strikes, that's why, yeah, against K-State, uh, mm-hmm. Iowa, even Iowa State, great offense, right? But they're not quick strike. Those quick strike offenses, when they can score in less than, less than two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're a 21-point yeah. lead in the fourth quarter. You know, it's not as safe as you think. And just like we talk about with possessions and quantity of plays, you got 60 minutes in there. If they have the ability to score in a minute, that means that even if you're late in the ball game, they still have a lot of opportunities if you give them the ball. And that's why it is all about possessing the football as many times as you can and then worry about winning those plays first. But yeah. if you have it and they don't, they can't do it. And it sounds simple. 
but it's a huge part of the battle. You know? I, I just want to run down some numbers in the fourth quarter to your point about playing quick strike offenses in a fourth quarter. Uh, the Oklahoma game outscored 21-3, to outgained 179-78. to Now, Oklahoma State, you were much better, but keep in mind that was Texas throwing the ball and having to come back. I was going to say, yeah. They outscored Oklahoma State 14-7, to outgained them 128-36. to West Virginia, you were outscored 15-10, to outgained 150-135. to Texas Tech, you're outscored 24-14 to in the fourth quarter, outgained 270-159. to mm. And then on Saturday, outscored 12-0, outgained 149-166. to when you have a chance to get these air raid teams down, these teams that in two minutes can turn a game on its head and get it right back in their in their favor yep. with their ability to go down the field, you've got to keep your foot on the gas the entire 60 minutes. I yep. think that's something that this staff will look back and say, yeah, there are certain games that we can manage the way I think Tom Herman ideally wants to manage a game. Mm-hmm. And there are some games where you got to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and you just got to keep keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing until you cross that finish line. Yeah, I mean, I we saw it against Oklahoma the first time. Texas had a 45-24 lead, and boom, boom, boom. Oh, mm. wow, right there. Six minutes. And, and, and to y'all's point about, about the offense carrying this team, I mean, when you start looking at it, I mean, when the, when they've been in trouble, they've gotten a big drive in the fourth quarter. Tulsa, a 13-play, 70-yard, five-yard drive that went for a touchdown. TCU, 10-play, 76 yards and a touchdown. K-State, 10-play, 36 yards, burned the last four minutes off the clock. Oklahoma, 9-play, 52 yards, kicked the game-winning 40-yard field goal with nine seconds left. Oklahoma State, you had a 13-play, 75-yard drive in there. West Virginia, you have a late-scoring drive that went, uh, what'd that go? Seven for seventy-five and a touchdown. So Texas Tech seven for seventy-five and a touchdown. So mm-hmm. the offense really all year had been Found able it. to. Yeah. It's, it's it's almost been the offense is. It's been weird to watch this Texas offense. It's almost like whatever the offense is needed to do to win the game, they've done. You need them to bleed the clock, they go bleed the clock. You need them to go get a quick score, they get a quick score. You need them to take some time off the clock and get a score, they take some time off the clock and get a score. It just didn't happen in this game, Ron. It just didn't happen in this Oklahoma game. Now, I think Oklahoma flipped the script on them a little bit, and Oklahoma became the ball control offense. And mm-hmm. and, and when they just gave you know Colin Johnson one on one, and I agree with Texas Hill, mm-hmm. you could almost argue Texas didn't throw it enough to Colin. Yeah, Johnson. Like 10, they Whoop, it, keep on going. That is, I think that's the trap that they lured Texas into. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, you want to throw it, but you know we can throw it too, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like you really want to just throw it all over the uh, field with us? Okay, that's fine. And then not Texas abandoned the running game, but Texas found a a, a more convenient way to move the football, and I, I, did, I, I think it worked great. But like you just pointed out, in you know, in certain. When they had to actually have one of those long, you know, double-digit play drives to milk the clock, keep Colin Murray off the field, and get points, they couldn't get it. And it goes back to the inability to run the football. And Oklahoma wanted the physicality about it. And we talk about what Oklahoma's done differently. Their personnel and their defensive front changed drastically from the first game. They got Caleb Kelly on the field, started playing more with three linebackers. Mm -hmm. And their Jack linebacker, which is their hybrid guy, they took that Mark, it was Mark Jackson in the first game. Mark Jackson's about 225. Now you're putting Ronnie Perkins in there at 265. That really does allow you to be four down. And Rod, it almost felt like Oklahoma just had the approach of no matter what we do. As you said earlier, we're not going to lose the physicality battle. They're not going to run it down our throat. And, 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 I mean, I think it was, yeah, it was just a – and like I said, it wasn't sound, but it was just enough of an adjustment to give them uh, a little bit more beef, you know what I mean, up and, front so that they could be stout against the run. That's all they really needed. And a good you know self-assessment I mean? by Oklahoma because, I mean, Lincoln Riley's probably looking there like, well, Oklahoma dominated forever. How had Oklahoma always – okay, well, they were more physical. How has, in the last five years, Texas became the most physical team? And it's like simple things, but it seems as if they really put an emphasis on that and it ended up working out for them. For me, this game just puts in perspective how far Texas has come yeah. to be – we, we we talked about all this, guys, all this kind of not I don't want to say negative stuff, but stuff that Texas could have done different or that could have gone the other way. It's still a tie game in the fourth quarter of the Big yep. 12 championship game. Exactly. You're it's still 15 really minutes away in a tie game from going to win a conference championship. Yep. And if you'd have told me that after Maryland that was going to be the deal, I'd say, hell yeah, I'll take that. Six days a week and twice on Sunday. No yeah, question. Especially look at the Tom Herman era when it's just versus Oklahoma, the Baker Mayfield and last year nearly winning that game. Yeah. And then I mean, it's living up to and exceeding expectations in big games, yeah. which is good, even though this time it didn't come out they, with a W. They won't always have 
and I know it happens. It seems to happen a lot. They won't always have the best quarterback in the country. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and Oklahoma. To, to well, I know Lincoln I that, Riley keeps identifying them. And then I, I say that I'm like, well, actually, Landry. The last yeah, eight years or so. Ever since you were picking <laughs> yeah. off Heifel or yeah, whoever, like, Jason I, yeah, White. So, but that's you know, old Paul part Thompson of Lincoln, days and Rhett Bomar. No part more of Lincoln those. Riley's legacy. That's just part of the reason you may not have to deal with Lincoln Riley next year. Yeah, I mean, if Lincoln Riley's, you know, if his Hopping agent ship. is smart, I'm sure his agent's talking to Green Bay right now, like, hey. Can we link up the best offensive mind in college football with the best quarterback in the league? Well, the dominoes of urban, there's dominoes everywhere. Go to Cleveland and go link up with your your old BFF, Baker Mayfield. I think think it's a good chance he goes to the league this year. I I think this also shows how much more work there is to do for Tom Herman and the staff. you got to keep recruiting well. And you look at the 2019 class, it's going to be another top seven, top five type class, oh, which yeah, is from a talent standpoint. Sugar Bowl, Sugar Bowl will help that. <laughs> you're, you're playing in a New Year's Six game, which you haven't done since 2009. Uh, but I think this game, Rod, it, hmm. it kind of exposed some of the things that we felt Texas had done a good job masking, like an offensive line that had been average, it had been solid, but it wasn't great. And I no. think in a lot of ways the offensive line kind of got exposed Agreed that. A, a, a little yeah. bit. Uh, the fact that you don't – you don't really have a game breaker at running back right now. Maybe a healthy Keontae Ingram is that guy, but yeah. you you had yeah. you didn't really have one uh, in this game. You had him uh, in the first OU game for a little bit, and you still had the hip issue. A, a yeah. true a true difference maker at, at tight end. You know yeah. that that's another big part of this offense. The the overall just inability to be explosive whenever you need to mm-hmm. on offense. Things that Tom Herman's talked about all year, and then you flip it over to the defense. Um, you know, if you take away Charles Minnehu, who who's the one guy on this defense that on third down somebody fears their ability to get after the quarterback? Yeah, the injured Roach really all that season. Guy, so, if you so, could have had a Roach, it could have been maybe him, but yeah, you so never got him. Impact guys in your defensive front, impact guys at those positions. Yeah, you know, like defensive end, uh, you don't have enough of them Agreed. where you need impact defenders. So, and look, I. I, in my opinion, this program overachieved because I didn't pick them to get to the Big 12 championship game. I didn't think they'd win more than eight games in the regular season. So from from my my perspective, this is all the whole, is Texas back? It just depends on what your perspective or your idea of back, of back is. Uh, did they overachieve? Okay, well, it's all dependent on what were your preseason expectations for this team. If your preseason expectations were that Texas goes to win the Big 12, then you're disappointed and no, they, they underachieved. But for me, Getting to the conference championship game, getting to the Sugar Bowl, yeah. Even if it ends with a nine and five season, to me that's overachieving to to get those two check marks. You made a conference championship mm-hmm. game and you got back in a New Year's Six mix. Yeah, I mean, I said they'd be a nine win team. They won nine games. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I'm I'm satisfied with the progress in year two. I um, actually think they're maybe better than what the numbers. They say. are like, better than like, I had losses. The losses aren't what I predicted they'd be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they the, the team still is a little bit unpredictable, but. They are much more a uh, sound football team in year two than I thought they'd be. Some of the issues they have, you talked about offensive line, uh, having a game-breaking, uh, game-changing presence at running back. Those are things that I think just recruiting cycles uh, for Tom Herman will fix. But in terms of the intangibles, what you want to see, the toughness, the fight, they're competitive. Hell, just like I said, this was the biggest loss they've had all year long yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to Oklahoma. And we and I, I thought they would keep it close, and they did keep it close most of the game, not for the safety. One place excuse the outcome. Yeah, so I, I do. I, I think Longhorn fans, and I talked about this in the post game. they should be uh, ecstatic about where the program is headed. Uh, I'm a little worried about whether guys leave next year. I think the offense changes dramatically. Mm-hmm. If Lil Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson both decide to skip and go to the league, I think then you, the offense may be looking more like Texas 2004, you know what I mean, <laughs> with, with two good tight ends and, you know, one wide receiver. It was like Tony Jeffrey, but it will be Devin Duvernay. And I know it sounds weird, but at that least, was a really uh, successful offense. At least oh, yeah, because it's Cedric Benson and Vince. Yeah, you can't you stop Keontae that. Ingram I know. Bam, Bam, you can't stop and, that. And at least you Play got quarterback figured out, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, they did then. They had quarterback figured quarterback out, and that was a good team. And, then, you know, so I think and the defense will be, I think, got some young pieces, got to figure out the D-line. So uh, that'll be big. Brandon Jones says he's staying, but you know, send what those young guys, young receivers are going to do. I think the de- I think the defense will be. It might be technically, you know, the old product might not be as good as we saw it at times this year. But that defense next year will be more talented than this oh. defense. Well, especially the back seven. Yeah, all these young I, I players. Think de- I think defensive front. I think when you start getting Keandre Coburn and 
Moro Ojimo, you get some of these young cats up front, and I think you'll start seeing. Yeah, and then when you get the three think best, that, like I said, DBs. This year, the DBs will be the most talented group. They they were the most talented group last year. They're, this is the most talented group. Like they, the DBs will be the most talented group. That D line is great, but they don't have five star safeties back there. No. Like this DB group, and with Brandon Jones coming back, we'll have the best safety group in the country. Well, almost with Casey Stearns with Brandon Jones and B.J. Foster and add DeMarvio and Overshone there. It's going to be the best group of safeties well, in the country. And I, I like the young corners. I'm a big Anthony Cook fan, so I don't even mind Chris Boyd and Vontae Davis. That's what I was going to say. With linebacker, you're going to miss Gary Johnson a whole heck of a lot. But, man, when you start watching Deli Adaway and DeMarvio and Overshone run on the field, yeah. Yeah, you're you're gonna have some talent. There's gonna be some growing pains, but exactly. those cats can yeah. go. And those but, are the ones you sit there and you're like, man, Gary was great, awesome. But in the Big Twelve, it's like the running back version on the defensive side. You may just need a good got body that fits within the framework of the defense, not necessarily what you needed 20 years ago. Oh yeah, in a middle linebacker that's, well, that's going to carry Gary Johnson. Is. Yeah, that's, that's why perfect. He's, that's why he's perfect. Yeah, for the Big Twelve. Uh, want, but to to talk about overachieving or underachieving, Matt, I know you're a big fan of S and P Plus. We we mm-hmm. cite them a lot. Uh, uh, and Bill Connolly, guys, a football study hall, do a good job of putting this stuff together. If you look at some of their post, the post game win expectancy of some of the games they won, Oklahoma eight percent win expectancy, and this is what the way Texas played, eight percent. Baylor, Back. Baylor thirty two percent. Texas Tech twenty percent. So I mean, there were game, USC fifty three percent. So there were games Texas won that even when you throw in the metrics after the fact, it's like man. How the heck do they end up winning that game? And that's yeah. the way you hear people talk about random. Just when it comes down to a one, there's no skill in winning a one possession game. If you're a one possession game, you are so close to that team throughout the 60 minutes. It just depends on which shade of those two minutes, who had the ball, where, and what happens. And given a hundred different playouts of that same game, you may have 50 different outcomes each way. So it's like if you get in those games, you may see it come and regress back. And that's what we saw this year, but in Texas's favor. Texas was losing them all the year mm-hmm. before this year you're winning them all and you can point to texas being a little bit more sound in certain areas can be those margins that get you there but it's still just good to see that texas is playing well late in games because it's just the the times that you end up getting blown out that's what gets you fired and that's where texas was two years ago real quick one thing that this just tickled me one of the things i love doing whenever the regular season's over i love when that last regular season coaches poll comes out and they release the ballots on where the coaches slotted teams uh, there were five ballots that had Texas A&M ranked ahead of Texas in the <laughs> coaches' poll. Do you want to take a wild guess who two of those coaches' ballots were? All SEC coaches? Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher were two. There you go. There you go. That makes sense. Pat Narduzzi at Texas A&M at 10. Exactly. I remember when and I Texas, was a kid and Texas realized like that 13. this stuff was divulged. And I said, wait, these guys are just blindly biased to some of this stuff. Like, it was absurd back in the day. Of the coaches who had Texas the lowest on their uh, on their ballots, uh, three coaches had Texas at 19. Nick Saban, Troy, uh, Neil Brown from Troy, and Barry, uh, Barry Odom from Missouri. And all these coaches admit on the front end, we don't care about any other football and don't watch anything else. In this <laughs> thing, right. They're probably not filling it out. Well, I, no, I, that's I, my I point. Think, and we decided championships for a half of a century. I think it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. SIV that, stuff. Um, that yeah, Nick, exactly. Sa- Nick Saban says, yes, Georgia's a top four team. They're a playoff team. And he had them five on his coach's pull ballot. Yeah. There you go. Saban, man. <laughs> Because he doesn't even care about the ballot that used to decide championships. Oh, man. All right. Well, look, like I said, we just wanted to spend most of this show recapping the Big 12 championship game. Uh, We've got a couple shows before the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Our next show, we're going to take more of kind of a – 30,000-foot view of the season, and then we'll spend one show breaking down breaking the down Bowl. the Sugar Bowl in the Superdome on New Year's night. Gentlemen, I got a feeling that's a bad matchup for Texas. But hell, we'll, I uh, love it. It's a hell of a test. Man. I think it's a perfect test for Texas after this season. This is a perfect barometer. If you're Tom Herman, it's exactly what you want. Yeah. You want to see where you stand? You want to see how physical you are? You want to see how physical you are? Let's go up against a team that's taking the only team that's taking Bama all right, to the fourth quarter, to the last possible seconds of the fourth quarter, two years in a row. Mm-hmm. You want to see if you're ready? A, a, a Nick Saban disciple? This is the way to do it. So I love the matchup. I, it, it could end up being an Old Testament-style butt-whipping, but I think it's a great matchup text. They need this matchup. Any other matchup, honestly, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think it's sexy and I wouldn't be excited about it. I'm really excited about it. You want to see if Tom Herman can really coach? Mm-hmm. Because he not, I don't, they're not going to oh. have really a talent advantage or any other kind of advantage in that game. You, it's going to be schematic. It's going to be game plan. you got a month to do it. So I didn't see any wrinkles in the, re- in the week before when you had David Beatty helping yourself scout or whatever the hell you were doing. I didn't see any wrinkles for OU. 
I better see something different versus uh, Georgia. And if I don't, you're going to get bludgeoned. Some old man ring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're going to get bludgeoned. Kirby Smart and that staff, they're not going to have an intricate game what? plan. They're going to try to line up and run it right down your throat yeah. behind a big, nasty yeah. offensive line. And they're I mean, just going to try to get after your butt with their front seven yeah. defense. It's going to be good. It's going to be fun. Man. You said it's weird, but like outside of like national championship games, like this bowl game is about as big. Because like, back in the day, yeah. oh, no, we didn't want to play Ohio State in 08. You wanted to be in that. And at this point, you're getting to play a team that deserve, feels as if they should be in the playoff You know, on their end. Now, that's also when you get lesser production from those type of bowl teams, which could play in Texas's favor. And then the cool ass part that you just go and meet halfway in the middle between Austin and Georgia. Well, let's go to New Orleans, take each yeah. other on. It's a stomping ground area. You know, you have the whole belt of NFL talent, and that game's going to be huge for recruiting. All right. We'll talk about it more on our next show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. Oh, you're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049 AM to 60 <laughs> streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can hear Rod B each and every weekday on the Rodcast from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. And thanks to Matt. You get us anywhere you get your podcasts and always find our archives on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.